Well, good morning, church. It is good to gather after Thanksgiving, a lot to be thankful for. Thankful for this church, thankful for opportunities in which not only we can sing together, but there's those conversations that take place and you can find encouragement. And um, I want to thank you for what you've done over the last Sunday and this Sunday with your harvest offering. Uh, it's sort of our way of saying we want to give above and beyond what we normally give to the church. And we had offering um, envelopes in the back and we ran out. And so we got some blank envelopes back there. So if you've still yet to put in your harvest offering, it's a blank envelope now. Just put harvest on the outside, we'll know. But thank you for that. that I mean, your generosity uh, is testimony and witness to what God is doing in your life. Thank you, too, for the event we have coming up. It's called a Spectacular Christmas Night. On December 7th, this room is going to be turned into a banquet hall for those with special needs. And we are going to be serving them uh, a nice meal giving them presents, and it's the presents that you are purchasing and the meal that you are helped paying for out there. Uh, I believe I saw maybe two gifts left that you can still feel just like, oh, I want to get something. Grab the ornament, write your name down on the slot. We had a few people that took an ornament, but they didn't put their name down, so we're like, oh, um, we just in case we need to contact you. So this morning during first service, I, I called out um, three numbers and said, if these are your numbers, make sure you go back and put your name down so we know who had them. And we said, 14, 55, 65, 14, 55, 65. I was waiting for somebody to yell, bingo. Uh, the good news is 55 and 65 ha actually happened to be here, so they put their names down. But if you have an ornament and it says number 14 on the back, let us know so we can put your name down. We can keep track. But that's going to be a spectacular night. We're looking forward to that night. But again, it causes my heart to say, thank you, church. Um, the way you just rise up and say, we want to be the church, uh, really blesses my heart. Grab your Bibles, and um, I'm, we're going to be in various scriptures this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have a few in the back. I do often put scripture up on the screen, not every scripture, uh, but you can follow along. Uh, here's what happens when you follow along in your Bible. You are able to correct me after the service and say, Rex, it was not there, it was somewhere else. That happens on occasion, Okay. Um, I am not a perfect pastor. I found that out about 30 minutes ago when I was told I was in the wrong scripture. Um, but anyway, that, that's, that's what the benefit of following along in your Bible. As incredible as many of your Thanksgivings were, some of you maybe were, didn't have quite the great, greatest weekend. And sometimes we, we gather and then you hear me talk about, oh, Thanksgiving, praise God, and let's be joyful. And then you're like, how can you find joy or hope or peace or anything? How? Because, you know, maybe this happened over here or that happened over there and sort of really dampened my weekend. I'm not very thankful right now. I hope by the end of this sermon you understand that our, our hope is found in Christ and not in the things of this world. And we begin by looking at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And we, we look there because... Well, let me read it to you, then I'll explain why. Starting in verse 6, it says this, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught, and you will overflow with thanksgiving. Now, for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, 
you're here this morning, you've confessed with your mouth, you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are saved. This verse is talking about you. You've accepted Christ. Now our next thing to do is to let our roots grow deep in him, to build our faith on him, to trust in him. This is one of those if-then statements. I think maybe some of you might remember that from high school or middle school, those grammar if-then. This is an if-then statement. If you are doing those things, if you're building your life on Jesus Christ, if you're trusting in Him, then something's going to happen and check out what it is. If you follow and build your life on it, then you have overflowing thankfulness. We are told that thankfulness flows from our growth in Christ. If you are growing in Christ, if you are built in Him, you should be just spitting out and spilling over with thankfulness. It should be evident in how we talk, our attitudes, our actions. We're first, obviously, thankful to God, right? We go to Him, we thank God for the various things, and then we're thankful for maybe family or, or, or church, friends, a job, neighbors, and you're even, as a Christian, you can even be thankful for your boss or your coach or somebody in authority over you. Because of being built in Christ, you are now overflowing with the thankfulness that he has put into your life. The amazing thing is, is that we can even be thankful for the bad things that happen in our life. Hard to believe, right? Romans 5.3 says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For that's when we learn to develop endurance. Did you ever think about that? We had a discussion around our, our table the other night after we got done eating. The whole family was there. And, and I was looking around at my kids and we're just talking. And, and we got into the conversation of injuries and fractures and surgeries and all that kind of stuff in our family. And we just started almost chuckling at how many we've had. I mean, if you were to come to our house and go in our basement and go into our storage room, you'd find six pairs of crutches. You'd find four ice machines. You'd find uh, a, a big box full of slings and, and boots and a scooter. And, and it's like, man, yep, that's right. It's, and I was sitting there thinking as we're talking, what if I could go back and change one moment in each of my kid's life? What if I went back to my one son and said, let's go back to that first injury you had, and we remove that injury, that injury that caused you to have four more surgeries and three more fractures, if we could get rid of that one moment, all those other things would not have happened. But then we thought about this, but then you probably wouldn't have ended up at the college you went to. You probably wouldn't have met the people you met, and you wouldn't be a physical therapist today if that didn't happen. So then we go back to, so what is God's plan for our life? What if God's plan and will for our life is to experience some of these things so that we develop endurance, that we develop other things in our life? So when I look at Scripture and, and in Romans, when the Apostle Paul says, hey, we can rejoice too when we run into these problems and trials. It's like, really? Look with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you're in Colossians, just go a couple uh, pages to your left. You'll find 2 Corinthians 11. Paul wrote this. It's sort of like, yeah, well, let me explain why I'm saying this about running into problems and trials. Because I had a lot of them. And he sort of goes into explanation. We're not going to break all these down. But just listen to what he went through. He said, I've been put in prison more often. Now, this is because he's a Christian. This is because he has faith in Christ that all these things happened. It wasn't because he was an athlete. It wasn't because he hung out with the wrong people. It's because he had faith. 
I've been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. That's called a scourging. And if you remember what happened to Jesus before he was crucified, he was scourged. 39 lashes. That happened to Paul five times. Verse 25 on, he goes on to say, three times I was beaten with rods, really quick. If I were to, to take Aiden or Tristan and bring them up here and say, take off your shoes, lay down, give me your foot. And I took the bottom of their foot and I took a rod and I just started pulverizing the bottom of their foot until it turned black and blue. That's beaten with a rod. That's an example there. Paul had that happen to him three times. It goes on to say that once he was stoned and not the dude, not that like I got stoned, okay? But like people took rocks and threw them at him, threw them at him, threw them at him until he was left for dead. He's like, we've thrown enough rocks at him. He's bleeding all over the place. He's dead. That happened to Paul once. He goes on to say, three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. Verse 26 says, I've traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers, from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I faced danger in cities, in the deserts, on the seas, and I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers and are not. Verse 27, he goes on to say, I have worked hard and I have worked long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concerns for all the church. Now, if the Apostle Paul had a social media account, it would be blown up all over the place, right? It's like, oh, look what happened to him again today. Ooh, wow. You know, and we'd be all amazed and like, this guy, he's got it rough, right? He went through so much more than all of us combined because of his faith. And yet... He wasn't bragging about it. He's just saying, I'm just sharing with you everything that I went through so that you understand this. When I write, and he writes this later in 1 Thessalonians, I'll put it on the screen for you. 5.18 says this, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. He's not saying, look very carefully, it says in him, or in all, not for all. Be thankful in all circumstances, not be thankful for all. Oh, I'm so glad this happened. That's not what he said. I can be thankful in the midst of the circumstance that's going on in my life. I may not be thankful for it, but I can be thankful in it. If this is a part of God's plan for my life, I will find reason to give thanks. Now, if you haven't done so yet, pick up the Advent book on the table, out in the lobby when you leave today. Today we're on reading number two. So make sure you're up with your reading number two we're doing this together as a church. Advent is uh, often celebrated by a lot of different churches. Uh, it's in the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. The, the Latin word for Advent means coming. So when we're looking at Advent, what we're doing is we're, we're looking back at Old Testament prophecies that said Jesus is coming. And then we also look at his actual coming, the birth of Christ. And then we look at the second coming of Jesus. That's Advent. His coming, he came, he's going to come again. That's Advent. And we'll start lighting candles next week and reading some more scripture. But we start today with, with the first thought of there's hope coming. There's hope. In the midst of all these things that we say, how can I be thankful in these circumstances? It's because you have an eternal hope. That's, that's how, I don't know how Paul can look at all this and say, well, how are you able to handle this? You know, what, what, what do I have to hope for? What am I hoping for today? I'll t you know, it's the holidays. 
I discovered you don't go to Walmart on this Saturday after Thanksgiving. I didn't realize that. I, I've always tried to avoid any stores after Thanksgiving, but ah, I forgot something. And you go, and what do I anticipate? What do I, what do I expect to see? What do I, long lines, right? Road rage, possibly. Maybe uh, some skyrocketing prices, a little financial strain. Um, maybe shopper rage. I mean, those are all the kind of things we're sort of anticipating, right? And instead of anticipating those things this, this Christmas, how about we anticipate something better? How about we hope for something better than those things? So in doing that, we're gonna, first of all, we just gotta pause. Just gonna pause right now and stop. And I want you to just think of one phrase. God is with us. God is with us. That's all, that's all I want you to think about now. God is with us. Repeat after me. God is with us. Let's do it again. God is with us. Let that sink in. Let that calm your heart. Let that cause your emotions to just take a break for a minute. Allow your mindset to focus on what is true. I remember when I was a little kid, it was in the middle of the night, it was dark, and I was in my bed, and I, and I, was, I was in my bed, I, I heard something down at the bottom of the steps. So, so we have our bedrooms, we have this big hall area, and then we have the steps that went down, and the doors at the bottom, I heard them like, creak open, I'm thinking, ooh, somebody's opening a door. And it, it, well, I don't know why, I, but I woke up and I heard it, and I'm laying there in the dark, and I hear somebody walking up the steps. And I'm thinking, somebody's coming upstairs and I don't know who it is. And you know, when you're a little kid, your mind races all different kinds of directions. So right away, I'm like, jumped out of my bed and climbed underneath my bed. I'm just hiding underneath my bed thinking, don't get me, don't get me, don't get me. And I hear the footsteps sort of making its way across. And then all of a sudden, my door's like, and I'm thinking, they're coming into my room and I'm gonna be, this is gonna be horrible. You know, again, the, the mind of a child, right? And then I hear this voice. Rex, you okay? It was my dad. It was my dad. Okay, so here's the deal. My dad never came up the steps. My dad never came up into my room in the night. Never. But that night he did. And that's what happens. You know, for some reason, that's what fear does. Fear causes us to hide. Darkness just enhances fear. And we live in a time right now when this world seems to be dark and desolate at times. We live in a time when fear just seems to be enhanced. And, and we just sort of like pull the covers over us. We get under the bed. We isolate ourselves from a lot of people. Unfortunately, we live in a time when our mental health issues are bigger than they ever were before. And a lot of people who have dealt with some mental things that it's like you've never had to deal with before, fear comes in a little bit quicker. Darkness shrouds over a little bit faster. And all of a sudden it's like, how do I handle this? I don't even know. So we just, boom, duck under the covers and just isolate and cover up, right? And then we hear that voice. It says, you're okay. It was good to hear my father's voice. I did not expect it. And I believe our heavenly father does the same for all of us right now. Whatever darkness you are experiencing, I, I, just let him speak into your, into your ears and into your heart, into your mind and say, I'm here, I'm with you. Let me change this darkness. I believe that's why we like pictures of sunrises so much. When we see a sunrise, we just, we have that hope that a new day is coming. Darkness is, is leaving. God slowly pulls back the curtain of darkness and says, light is coming. And I believe that's what he did in 
offering many scriptures that remind us of his presence, of God is with us. Let me remove the fear. Let me, let me calm you. Zephaniah 3.17, great scripture. I'm not going to put it on the screen. Um, it's one that I believe Mark Redmond possibly wrote a worship song probably about 20 years ago off of this verse. But Zephaniah 3.17 says this, The Lord your God is living among you. He is your mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he'll calm your fears. He will rejoice over you with a song. It's a beautiful verse. Reminding us, like, God is here. He is your mighty Savior. Let him usher in the light. Turn to John chapter 1. It's a scripture that's often read at Christmas time. And uh, I used to have a friend that was like, this is my favorite scripture uh, for Christmas. I'm going, huh? There's no Mary, Joseph, baby, Jesus, shepherd, angel, wise men involved in this scripture. Because it's one of the most beautiful scriptures written on the birth of Jesus. In the beginning, the word already existed. That's Jesus Christ. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, when we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus was there. Verse 3, God created everything through him. Nothing was created except through him. Verse 4, the word gave life to everything that was created. His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. A beautiful picture of how we have this dark world, and God says, I'm creating light. And he's like, no, no, I'm bringing the light into a dark world. The world's going to try to extinguish Jesus, but it's going to fail. You can't extinguish this light. For the Christian, for those who are building their lives on Jesus Christ, who are growing up in him, you have this hope in a light that extinguishes all darkness. I shared with you this story last year. If you're visiting here, if you've just started coming to church in the last year, this is a new story for you. Everybody else is like, oh, pastor's getting seen out. He's telling us those stories over and over again. It happens, okay? Just deal with it. Some of you dealt with it over Thanksgiving. Listen to your grandpa. I'll share his same stories. Here it comes. But it was uh, just not too long ago, a year ago, when uh, my son and I said, um, we're going to just go blow off some steam, find a cheap ticket. Let's get out west for a couple of days and just go hike. So we went off to Nevada. And in the mountains of Nevada, beautiful place to hike. Um, our goal and our intention was, let's get out, get on a hike, blow off that steam, sort of enjoy it, and then get back. Unfortunately, I didn't prepare too well. As often as I'm a good preparer for things like this, this is one time I didn't realize I did not adjust to the time change and to the difference in how quick things the sun set out west in the winter. We got on a hike. We started heading towards that valley, straight at those mountains. But when we got up to a certain distance, looking at my watch, realizing, oh, we still should be good. But then all of a sudden, the cloud hit behind those, or the sun hit behind those mountains. Our light was leaving us. I thought, oof, we probably should turn around and head back on the trail. We did, but it got dark too quick for us. And we hiked back, lost for a while, because we couldn't see the trail. Plain and simple. In that moment, when your heart's racing, you're thinking, it's dark, I feel like I'm lost, off to the distance, we saw the highway where the cars were, and there was a car parked in the parking lot near where our car was, and it's like, that, there it is, that light. It was our beacon of hope. That light gave us hope, like, this is how we become unlost. This is how we find our way for a light. 
And this is what we're talking about in Scripture. Praise God that in the darkness of this world, he gives us an eternal light, Jesus Christ. Just as that distant car on the highway helped us find our way, Jesus says, let me help you find your way. It's dark right now. I get it. Some of you were able to fully celebrate Thanksgiving. It's been a dark time. Let me be your light. Let me help you find your way. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says this, But you, O Bethlehem Ephraim, only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. When this prophet of God wrote this, it was 800 years before Jesus was going to be born. And God said, hey, um, what I want you to write about is that I'm sending a light. I'm sending a new ruler, my son Jesus Christ. It's going to be quite a while till you're going to see it happen, but it's going to come. Just hope for it. It's going to come. And as, as a former coach, when, when we would experience a loss, I couldn't wait for the next opportunity to play. Because I wanted to get rid of that bad taste of that loss in my mouth. I can't wait. I just want to coach another game because I want to win. I want to get that bad taste out of my mouth. And sometimes, you know, if it's not competition, it's we had a bad moment with somebody. It's like, I want, I want, another, I want to redo. I want, I want another opportunity to be able to maybe redo this situation. It's just, this is what God's basically saying. It's dark right now. But there's a light coming. And these people had to wait 800 years for that light to come. I'm like, I can't wait till next week to play a game to get rid of that taste. I have to wait 800 years for Jesus to come? Isaiah, who wrote something then a few hundred, uh, about 100 years after Micah, he said this, The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, a virgin will conceive a child, shall give birth to a son, will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Isaiah was trying to encourage the people to, I know you're waiting. I know you're anticipating. I know you're hoping for something. I know it's going to be a while. Hold on, because when he comes, it will be God with us. God with us. Isaiah went on to say a little bit more about this, because again, he wants to give us hope. So listen to what he says. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. See, church, our hope is not in people. Our hope is not in a hobby. Our hope is not in our finances. Our our hope is in Jesus Christ. One that was talked about hundreds of years prior to his coming. He's coming. Just just hang in, anticipate, anticipate. Your hope is coming. The light is coming. First thing that we learn about this, what Isaiah says This hope that's coming, he's going to be a wonderful counselor. Jesus, a wonderful counselor. Some of you will understand this. Some of you won't. Dear Abby, open up the newspaper. Some of you don't even know what a newspaper is, okay? So here's the thing. You got to go back when newspapers were the only means of communication, and there's this thing called Dear Abby. Back in the 1950s, this lady, you'd send in your questions, and Abby would say, here's 
how you're going to handle this situation. Let me give you some of my advice. So you have this woman who, again, humanity speaking, we're all flawed, right? There's no perfect person. But here's this person who's going to try to give advice for everybody. Her popularity grew immensely. By 1987, 1,200 newspapers were now putting the Dear Abby in their columns. 60 years later, over 110 million people are listening to Dear Abby. So you got all these millions of people listening to this person who's not perfect give counsel. And they put their hope in somebody like, oh, I hope you give me some good advice. And there's nothing wrong with counselors, but listen, we love our counselors, right, Joy? We need a perfect counselor. We need a wonderful counselor. And Jesus is that wonderful counselor. John chapter 14, 16, 18 verses up there. Jesus said, I'll ask the Father. And I'll give you another advocate or counselor who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads you in all truth. The world can't receive him. Because it's not looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I'll come to you. Jesus says, I'm giving every one of you Christians in this room, okay? It's like Oprah. You get the Holy Spirit. You get the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, maybe Oprah doesn't do that. But Jesus is up here saying, you get the Holy Spirit. You get the Holy Spirit. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he says, I'm giving you my spirit. Another advocate, a counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. His advice is 100% perfect. And he comes to be with us forever. He goes on to say, Jesus is not only our wonderful counselor, he's our mighty God. There's a story in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. It's King Asa. King Asa was a godly man. There's a lot of kings that were not godly. King Asa comes along, he's a godly man. And he's following all the commands of the Lord. And God's like, I'm going to bless you, Asa. You're being obedient to me. King Asa's like, thank you, God. But then, oh, the unfortunate thing happens. An enemy comes to attack him. Asa's got a big army, okay? But this army that comes at him is three times the size of King Asa's army. Over a million soldiers coming to attack him. What does King Asa do? Verse 11, we read, O Lord, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we trust in you alone. It's your name that we've come against, that, this vast horde. O Lord, you are God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. So King Asa prays out, God, you're the mighty God. I can't defeat this situation here. So I'm calling on you. And what does God do? God steps in. Asa doesn't even have to lift, lift a finger. And God wipes out this enemy. There are days in which we we'll feel incapable of being victorious. There are days in which we're going to be sitting there thinking, this past, or this task is too big. I, this situation, unbearable. I, how, do I even, how do I even go against it? Everything is so much superior in size that I'm going against right now. And what do we do? We call out to who? Mighty God. Maybe we're just worn out. <laughs> Maybe it's like, I just have nothing in me right now. Not for anybody or anything. You call out to your mighty God. The same God that crushed Asa's enemy came to this earth in the flesh, Jesus Christ. He's the same God. That's who, that, that infant that was being held by Mary, the same God that crushed a million and saved Asa. He's a mighty God. We also uh, read this, wonderful counselor, mighty God. He is also our everlasting father. 
I'm sure we've all had those moments in which like, if I just had a little bit more time, we look at the, maybe the scoreboard, just a little more time. Or we're at a funeral and we're looking at somebody we love and say, if I just had a little bit more time. Or if we have a, a task ahead of us, it's like, I gotta get this done. If I just had a little bit more time. We all want a little bit more time. And our faith in Jesus Christ is faith in an eternal God. Time never runs out with him. The good things that he promises us will never come to an end. As scripture says, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. That inherit, your inheritance, my inheritance, is kept safe for eternity. He is an eternal, he is an everlasting father, and he is our prince of peace. Peace on earth, goodwill what? Toward men. It's the phrase we hear all the time at Christmas, right? Uh, it's something we all long for. In a world of co conflict, fighting, uh, we just like, can we just have some peace around here, right? We understand what it is to want to have peace, but the first peace that God wanted to give us, we'll talk more about this later, but the first peace he gave us was a peace between us and God. We can't have peace with one another until we have peace with God. Once we have peace with God, then we can have peace with one another. And that's the first thing Jesus says, I want to bring peace between you and my heavenly Father. I want to reconcile this broken relationship. And for those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, you have been given a divine peace. The hostility between us and God, gone. Jesus is our Prince of Peace. It's through him we find this assurance of salvation. So church, what am I trying to say? This. <laughs> my hope, my hope in the midst of whatever, going back to Paul, all the stuff, the bad stuff that happens to him, in the midst of anything bad that happens to me, how can I still have hope? How can I still be overflowing with thanksgiving? Because not only does, am I rooted in Christ, the Christ that I'm rooted in, I'm rooted in a wonderful counselor. I'm rooted in a mighty God. I'm rooted in an eternal, everlasting Father. I am rooted in the Prince of Peace. All that gives me hope. I have an eternal hope. My hope doesn't run out when my teams run out. My hope doesn't run out when my family runs out. My hope doesn't run out when my job runs out. My hope doesn't run out when life runs out. I have an eternal hope. You have an eternal hope. God is with us. That eternal hope is with you right now. With the good news of hope, I, I encourage you, live out that hope. And, and listen, church, I get it. It's okay if you've had those moments in which you have been tearful and you have been in pain. And you are sad. I understand. I'm not saying, oh, wipe, that's, wipe those, the frown off your face. Well, stop crying. I don't think that's good counsel. Whatever you're going through, you're going through, and we pray with you through it. But I just want to let you know, you have an eternal hope. And I'll let Christ work in that and change that. I can't do it, but he can. Worship team, would you come forward, please? You know, it was almost... Um, 10 years ago, going on 10 years about then, uh, I was coaching um, a travel baseball program, uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I was coaching a 13U baseball team. And these bunch of 13-year-olds, here's the thing. We, we coach them not only the skills of playing baseball and how to play the game, but we also wanted to teach them about God. So we would have devotions. We would pray as a team. We would do all those things. Well, at one practice, 
we gathered them all around together. It's like, okay, it's time. We've, we got done doing a bunch of drills. Now let's, let's get at the heart of the matter. And so, so let's, let's play a little game here. So I had this bag. had these little computer uh, keyboard uh, pieces in it. So basically you take a keyboard and punch out all the, the letters. So there's a bag, and they're, they're reaching in, and they're grabbing two keys out. And they have a letter on each. And I said, okay, with the two keys that you just grabbed out, think of anything that you can be thankful for. You get the letter B, maybe you're thankful for bananas. You get the letter H, maybe you're thankful for your house. I don't care. Just come up with some ideas. Let's, let's go around because there's so much to be thankful for, right? So they're all grabbing keys. Now, let me, let me set the stage a little bit more for you, okay? This is the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It is the week before Easter. You follow me? Christians, Easter. Young man in front of me, he's their catcher. Pulls out two letters. Face just beams like, oh, yeah. He's all excited. And he, I'm thinking, all right, what do you got? He goes, I got the letters J and C. J, C. It is a week before Easter. We are the fellowship of Christian athletes. You got the letter J and the letter C. All right, what you got? Gym class. You know gym starts with a G. Not a J. It's Easter and we're Christians and you're not thankful for Jesus Christ? That would have been a great answer. <laughs> Sometimes the answer is so obvious. That we just don't see it, do we? Church, life is what it is. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's dark. But the answer is obvious. Our hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Start there. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is so much that goes on around us. And sometimes in the midst of the darkness or the midst of the things that go on in our life, sometimes we, we just forget that our eternal hope is in you. We find forgiveness we find grace. We find mercy. And we're so thankful for those things. But we are really thankful that you didn't just give us those things, but you said, I will be with you. God with us. You are a wonderful counselor. You are our mighty God. You are the eternal and everlasting Father. You are our Prince of Peace and you reside with us. The light has come to a dark place. We celebrate that. We're so thankful. So God, help us today as, as we continue to go through this holiday season. Help us to remember the eternal hope that we have with us 24-7. Everywhere we go. At any time, you're with us. And I believe that is why the Apostle Paul said, I can be thankful in all circumstances because of what I have through Jesus Christ. God, help us to have that same kind of attitude. God, thank you this morning that we can come and worship you. We thank you for the eternal hope that you give us. We want to sing to you now, Lord, in our name we pray. Amen.